Last week, we started a series called This is Hope. We started this in our Bethlehem congregation and here in Nazareth. We felt like after a couple years of COVID and a shifting of who was in our church congregations that we needed to sort of, uh, in some ways, not hit the reset button, but sort of kind of relaunch in our minds who we are as a church, who we are as Hope Alliance, and, and so hence the name, This is Hope. And so last week, we went through the idea uh, that is sort of our main identity as a church family is simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. It's on the shirts. It's on the sign. Hopefully, you're, you've been experiencing it and you know it. We used the, the story of the transfiguration in Matthew 17 uh, to sort of set up this, this paradigm for us that when the disciples come down off the mountain after Jesus is transfigured before them in glowing white, they... They don't come down with no one and having just had a mountaintop experience. They come down with Jesus who walks with them through normal life. They didn't come down with just Moses and and being in relationship with God only through the law. They came down with Jesus who brings the new covenant and grace. They didn't come down with just Elijah. Elijah was always thinking about the future, pointing to the future. So meaning we don't just have an escapist faith that says someday we get to just get out of here. We actually have a Jesus who walks with us now. In our daily lives, they come down with Jesus only, simply Jesus. And we want everything we do to be about him. You can't add to or outdo Jesus. He's first. Everything else is a distant second. Today, what we want to talk about today and going through the next four weeks is looking at sort of um, how we work out that identity how it is that we live that out as a church family. So some people might say these are core values, and last week was our vision. We hate that stuff because it sounds like corporate talk. Church is much more organic than, than a corporation, and I'm not a CEO, okay? All right, enough of my rambling about that. But anyway, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about sort of these things that are just key to who we are and how we live at this out as a church family, and the first thing that we're going to talk about is gospel saturation, which this is, this is um, something you have been experiencing. That's why we mention the gospel every week from up front. It's why it's soaked through everything that we do in our community groups and in our huddles and any other things we do run through the grid of, is this saturated with the gospel? So the last, well, probably a month ago or more, it started becoming incredibly dry in the valley. It was just not raining. Everything was barren. Like, it was incredibly dry. If you grow flowers like we do, if you grow vegetables like we do, it meant constantly going out and watering, emptying the rain barrels, trying to keep things wet enough that they would grow and produce fruit. And, and what happened over a couple days was that we started to get these long, drenching storms that would come through soaking the ground, saturating the ground, permeating the ground down to the roots of the plants so that these things would grow fruit and produce. The ground needs to be saturated, right? You know that if ground is incredibly dry and a storm comes in quick and moves out quickly, what happens? The water just runs off the surface. You get flash floods. It doesn't actually get down into the soil the way that you need it to to take root. But we also know that If you just get a sprinkling, that's not effective either. You need this deep, drenching, saturating rain to get down into the hard soil so those plants have something to drink and start to 
produce fruit. This is the idea of saturation. I've told this story before that anybody ever have a, a dog that gets sprayed by a skunk? It's a miserable experience. Our dog got sprayed by a skunk a couple years ago. And again, first time, fool me once, I learned, don't let it run through the house. Dog, dog came through the house. I thought, well, get him in his crate. Get him in the garage and, and just like, get him away from the skunk. Well, he came through. The windows had been open, and the whole house just saturated with that smell. Our kids went to school, and somebody, somebody said to Abby, smelled her backpack. They're like, you got pot? Like, because it smells skunky. It was bad. Just saturated everything. So this is, this is the idea of saturation, right? It's just, it soaks down deep. It gets into things, permeates them. Well, we... As a church, in living out simply Jesus, want to be a people of gospel saturation. That it soaks in deep into everything that we do so that, in turn, fruit is produced, personally, corporately, and out into the world. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Colossians. It is hard to boil down the effect of the gospel because... And, and to find a proof text and say, here's the verse, this is the one. Because, frankly, the gospel is all through the entire narrative of Scripture. The grace of God is all over the narrative of Scripture. It has been permeating the people of God since the beginning of time. But we did our best to sort of boil it down here into uh, taking Colossians 1, verse 3 to 14. I'm going to read this for us. We always thank God, this is Paul writing to the church at Colossae, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of the saints, meaning all of the church, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it, and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, what we're going to talk about today is that the gospel does three things. It rescues the world and us personally. It renews us and it reproduces itself out into the world. All right? Rescues, renews, reproduces. All right? So let's... let's move through this. To even begin to understand the idea of the Christian gospel, we have to understand the word gospel. It's massively important. 
because the gospel doesn't just appear out of nowhere. It, it comes into a context. So if you go back and look at the word gospel, I'm not trying to be like, hey, look at me, I know Greek, but it's important to understand that, that in the Greek language, gospel is translated from the word euangelion, which really means good news. Evangelion is where we get our word evangelize. Like, if you could visualize it, you would see it. It means good news. The gospel means good news. So, let me ask you a question. For those of you who've grown up in the church, you've been taught this or you've been around the church for a while, what's the good news? Just think about that. What's the gospel? What is the good news? And then think, why is it good? What effect does that have on my life? Why does it matter? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospels, stories of good news about Jesus, all four of these gospels tell us that Jesus taught the gospel. So let me ask you a question. Is your version of the gospel what Jesus taught? That question messed me up about 10 years ago because I thought the gospel was a proposition. Jesus came to save me from my sins. I believe him. I don't go to hell. Case closed. Done. Gospel. Is that the gospel that Jesus preached? Let that settle in. Read the gospels and look for what Jesus preaches when the gospel, when the gospel writers say that he's preaching the good news. You see that it's much bigger, much more cosmic in scope than just the proposition of, well, if you believe this, you go to heaven someday. Not less, not, not, it's not nothing, but it's much more than that. The gospel is a proclamation of truth. The gospel is a proclamation of God's rescue, as exhibited most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is rescue. It's a proclamation of it. It is not just a proposition. We need to understand the fullness of the proclamation. So again, we need to keep unpacking this word. The proclamation to the, to the Jewish people, right? So Jesus, we have Jesus who comes into the scene in the first century, right? He comes into a Jewish people, right? He is Jewish. Well, the Jewish people had an idea about God's rescue, they had been told by their prophets over the years that God was going to send someone. God was going to send this Messiah, this Savior, this suffering servant who would come and would do two things. He would come and he would rescue the people through conquering evil. Sometimes their own evil. Lots of times they just thought the evil without. Not just within, but like mostly without. He was going to deal with Babylon, Assyria, Rome, whatever. They were waiting for that Messiah to come and to rescue them from the effects of evil crushing in around them. 
And so he would rescue them, but he would also set up God's rule and reign on earth. This had been proclaimed to them. This good news had been told to them. This rescuer is going to come someday and conquer evil and set up God's kingdom on earth. First century Jewish people operating in this mindset. On the other side of things, first century Jewish people are living in where? Roman rule. Now in Rome, they have their own idea of the gospel, the good news. If you've studied history, you know that in, uh, in Rome from, I think it's 18 BC, through, I wrote it down, through like 180 uh, AC, or what is it, CA now? CA, right? You know, somebody tell me. AD, used to be AD. Yeah, okay, great. So 180, right? Just before Christ's birth to 180 years after, Rome is exhibiting and living in what they call the Pax Romana. Anybody ever heard that, students? Anybody? Yeah, all right, all right, thank you. Pax Romana is the peace of Rome. The peace of Rome for 200 years is spreading about the Roman kingdom, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was humongous and just expanding, expanding, expanding from Mesopotamia to northern Africa all the way to Britain. Friends, think about that. Enormous empire. Pax Romana. They are spreading peace everywhere they go. There's this increase. The government is just growing humongous. Peace is spreading all through the Roman world, and it's advanced through diplomatic threat or war. We're either going to get you, so you better submit, or we did. Yay, peace of Rome. Great. People, I'm sure they loved it. The Britons, people in Germania, no, not so much. Uh, me and Owen watched Gladiator the other night, and there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where they, they conquer the barbarians, and uh, the one general says to Maximus, says, um, a people should know when they're defeated. That's how Rome operated. Like, a people should just know when they're defeated. And we're going to bring them peace, good things, civilization. So this Pax Romana is spreading all throughout. And so what would happen is, as Rome continues to spread its territory, when they would have a victory in a far-off city, someone would come back to Rome, a herald would come back, and announce good news. Guess what's happened? Conquest. Rome is expanding. The reign of Claudius or whoever, Nero, whatever, is expanding across the empire even farther. Jewish people waiting for a savior to come to bring God's conquest of evil, the rule and reign in the kingdom of God on earth, the, the Roman people hearing about good news on a regular basis that the empire is expanding through diplomatic threat and through war. The peace of Rome is spreading to the ends of the earth. And coincidentally, right around this time, there's a Caesar named Augustus, who is the adopted son of the deified Julius Caesar, who was a god. So you have Augustus, who is the son of God, announcing peace and the expansion of his kingdom to the ends of the earth with heralds coming and pronouncing this good news to the people. And it's into that scene that the gospel writers tell us that Jesus shows up. And beyond just a cute Christmas story, what is Jesus called? The Son of God. Oh, now you've got this competing story. Gospel writers are so good in how they tell us this subversive story. The Son of God. The government is upon his shoulders, it says. 
that this is bringing peace to the ends of the earth. This is good news for all who will receive it. God's rescue is coming. And what's inherent within this proclamation of the good news of the rescue of Israel and the world is that Jesus is the Son of God, not Caesar. That it's God's kingdom who's actually being established, not Caesar's. That peace actually is coming, but it will come through Jesus liberating the world, not Caesar crushing it, or through conquest. We would say that the gospel is this. It's the true declaration that Jesus is the rightful, victorious, eternal king who's made peace with God through his incarnation, his life, his death, and his resurrection. He's the true God, the true king, the one who's made peace with God, between God and man, so they can be in relationship. And it's spreading to the ends of the earth. His kingdom is being built. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is happening for all time. We experience now in our hearts, and someday it will come in its fullness physically. Oh, come Lord Jesus. It is huge in scope, yet personal in scale. Cosmic, affecting the entire universe, affecting the entire world, yet also very near and dear and close to our individual lives. Friends, it is not just the proposition that if you accept this, you get to go to heaven. Do you see that? It's so much bigger than that. The rescue of God has come for all of the world, and it will redeem all of the world someday. It will all be made right. It's not just about our own little story that, okay, well, I'm going to believe this, and then I get to go to heaven someday. Great. It's like, no, 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 no. There's a king on the throne now. That's good news, that it's not us, it's not Caesar, it's not a political party, it's God himself on the throne bringing his kingdom to earth. That's that's the proclamation. It is true. The question then becomes, what do we do with it? It's not just, oh good, I get to go to heaven someday. Fantastic news. It gives me hope to keep going. But it needs to make a difference now in my life as well. Shouldn't it? Shouldn't it make a difference that there's another king on the throne? You see, it's not just out there rescue that Jesus has entered into. It's also personal. He is making all things new. His peace is extending to the ends of the earth. His kingdom is growing to the ends of the earth, and it will come in its fullness someday. But so what, right? That's why it matters what we actually think about the good news, what we do with it. We need to make it personal. To actually live in the reality of it, to actually be cognitive of it and choose into the reality of the proclamation that Jesus is king. Is he king of your life? We just sang the song, is he king of your heart? Like for real. Tomorrow when you go to work, Wednesday when you're struggling at school, is it really true that Jesus is king of your heart? Not just king of the world, but king of your heart. 
You see, if Jesus is rescuing the world, if he's come to make all things new and make all things right, he does it in your life too. Not just out there. Not just in your parents. Not just in Pastor Jim's heart. Not just someday. But he wants to change your life. He wants to be king in your heart. He wants to move you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, Paul says. The rescue is not just cosmic, it's personal. God is reshaping the world, but I would argue one heart at a time, one person at a time, bringing his kingdom to bear out in the world. And what Paul tells us is that that when we personally appropriate this, when we believe this proclamation, when we take it into our lives and live in the reality of it, you know what he says? You are a new creation. You are reborn. You are remade. The Spirit of God is implanted inside of you, and you are made new. Friends, have you been made new? (laughs) Have you experienced the king of your heart in that way? Has it changed your life in that way? Are you experiencing freedom? from addiction? Are you, are you experiencing joy in the trials of life? Are you growing in your patience towards that person that really just irritates the snot out of you? Are you keeping your cool in traffic when every road in Nazareth is closed? I'm getting better at it. Are you experiencing these things? You see, this is, the, this is why it matters when we say, well, this is what I think the gospel is. And then you have to answer the question, so what? Is it making a difference in your life? If it's not, why not? <laughs> What's off? What's missing? Where is it not lining up? You see, the gospel is rescue. It's the proclamation of God's rescue. Has it become personal for you? Because here's the thing. When you actually take this into your life and start to live in the reality that God is on the throne, that Jesus is on the throne, it does start to renew you. It starts to change you internally from the inside out. Colossians 1.5 says this. Well, I'll read verse 4, Laura. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have, all right, the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Other translations say that the, the, the love and the faith that spring out of, that come out of the hope that you have. What Paul is saying is, I have seen it. I've seen the faith and the love that you have that are springing forth from this hope that you have in the king who's on the throne, Jesus Christ, right? What he's saying is, the gospel, the good news, the proclamation that Jesus is on the throne actually starts to do something inside of you when you believe it that starts to produce faith and love. You see, the Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of us and starts to exhibit these fruits. They start to come out of us when we really believe this. So the gospel, this is, here's, here's how you can remember this. I say it all the time. The gospel is not just the ticket into the party, it is the party. 
It's not just the diving board, like, the, boop, I'm going to believe this and then I'm in. It's not just the diving board, it's also the pool that we swim in. And when we swim in it and believe it daily, bringing it into our hearts daily, like just studying it, trying to understand it, uh, becoming blown away by it, it actually starts to produce these things that come out of us, these good things that come out of us. So you start to see that, oh, the rescue is real. I'm being rescued. I'm being saved daily. Look at the way that it's changing me. Look at the way that it's transforming me. The problem is, historically, in the Christian faith, we think, well, now that I'm in, now I better obey all the rules. Like, I'm in, okay, now I better keep it by earning it. I better make God happy by keeping all of the rules. Or we think, now that I'm in, I better behave good. I better, well, sorry. I better behave well. I better obey these good rules, okay? But the problem is, when we just try to browbeat ourselves and tell, us to, tell ourselves to obey the rules, it doesn't actually change us. It doesn't work. And you'd be like, don't be mad at the kids. Don't yell at the kids. Stop yelling at the kids. Thursday, you're like, dang it, it's not working. See, rules don't actually change us. It's just this external thing that doesn't actually get into our hearts and remold us to be people who are gentle. This is my personal experience, okay? Confession on stage from the pastor. There you go. Rules don't work. Rules don't transform. The gospel actually renews. When we soak ourselves in it, when we saturate ourselves in it, it actually starts to produce this godly fruit. See, here's the thing about rules. Here's an example. I can tell my dog... Do not get on the couch. Do not get on the couch. And when I'm standing there looking at him, he normally won't get on the couch. But if we accidentally leave him out and go to the store, when we come home, I can walk over to the couch and be like, hmm, it's warm. The dog has been here. But he knew when I showed up, right, I better get away. I don't want him to know that I was disobeying the rules. See, that's it's the same with kids. You make all sorts of rules, but when as soon as the threat is gone, now what? Do, 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 I'm going to do whatever I want. What we want, though not possible with my dog, what we want in children, right, is for their hearts to actually be for us. <laughs> we, want that, we want their hearts to actually believe what is good and then to choose it. See, the gospel, when we actually start to believe that it is good, good news for us, it actually starts to shape us to want to choose into godly behaviors. It starts to renew us. What Paul tells us, Paul makes this claim in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, praise God, freedom from rules, freedom from religion, freedom from legalism. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Friends, there's a lot happening in that passage, but this is what he's saying. As we look into the glory of the Lord, which I would argue is the love and sacrifice of Jesus, as we look into the glory of God, into the face of God, figuratively speaking, we start to be transformed. 
As we set our affections on the one who has done this for us, who has offered us this rescue, it starts to transform us. We start to look more like him. What I would argue is that love of Christ actually starts to look like the life of Christ. That as we love him, we start to look more like him. And isn't this what John tells us, Jesus said, if you love me, you will start to follow my commands. He doesn't say, if you follow my commands, then you'll love me. If you follow the rules, then you'll love me. He says, if you love me, then obedience will follow. We call it grace-motivated obedience, gospel-motivated obedience. As we saturate ourselves in the goodness of God and what he has done on our behalf, we start to say, well, I want to choose into that. I want that. If this good God would do that for me, and he tells me that this is what a good life looks like, I want that. I'm going to choose into that. I'm going to choose righteousness instead of unrighteousness. Do you see it? See, when we soak ourselves in the gospel, it actually starts to transform us and renew us. Friends, this is why, as much as I can remember to do it, you will not hear me preach on rules. I can get up here and tell you all the things not to do. You already know most of them, right? I can stand up here and say, you know, uh, don't, don't abuse your kids. You'd be like, I know. And me saying that wouldn't transform you. I could stand up here and I could say, you should not look at pornography. And you all go, yeah, I know. You're a bad person if you do that. You should stop. But one, you're probably not going to come back. Insert any hot button item there that you want, by the way. Hot topic there. Abortion, homosexuality, politics. You name it. I could rail on it. And we would all go, yeah, I know. Good. Thanks for saying that. And anybody who was struggling with those things would feel guilt and shame and never come back. So what we try to do is preach the gospel, saturate us in the gospel, so that as it takes root, you can go, wait a minute, God would do this for me and loves me so much, why would I choose pornography? Do you see it? I don't have to tell you all the things that are wrong. Just don't. Our soul knows it. (laughs) It's an offense against our body. You know what I mean? Like We know it. The shame and the guilt are there already. I don't need to rail against it. But I can preach the gospel, and we can speak the gospel to one another in community groups and in huddle. Help one another believe the love of God for us so that then people can go, wait a minute, why why am I picking greed? Hmm. Why, Why am I picking anger? I don't want that. You see it? This is why we saturate ourselves in the gospel in everything that we do here. This is why when people come and ask and say, hey, will you preach on this? No, probably not. How come you don't talk about, on that? Talk about that? I've just told you why. Let's do this program. Let's do this awesome event. And I would say, is it saturated in the gospel? That's the first grid that we run things through. We don't just do things because they're fun, because they're flashy, whatever. Because it'll draw a crowd. Say, like, is it gospel-centered? Is it going to saturate people in the gospel? Check that box, then we can go from there. Because we know that this is actually what renews people, not the rules. 
So as we look into the face of Christ and our love of Christ grows, so does our life of Christ. We look more like him, become more like him, are renewed to be like him. So can I ask you a question, friends? Are you looking into the face of Jesus on a regular basis? You know, we used to call them devotions. Are you doing your devotions? Not because of guilt. Not because there's anything in the scriptures to say you better do your devotions so that you can look into the face of Christ and be transformed. Because you're seeing the person there that loves you more than anything and you're saying, I need that. I want that. Are you taking time to be with Jesus in prayer throughout the day? In the scriptures, looking for the story of God's rescue, fasting, taking time to be silent, being with one another in fellowship, whatever it is that helps you be gospeled so that you can be renewed, so that the fruits of the Spirit can grow out of you. Which leads us to the last thing. The gospel produces fruit, and it reproduces itself out into the world. Look at Colossians 1, 6 with me. He says, uh, Paul says, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. The gospel of the kingdom of Jesus is meant to be preached and spread to the ends of the earth. It is meant to produce fruit all over the earth. The kingdom of God is growing in one heart at a time. And guess what? As you and I start to live out the reality of that, you know what it looks like? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, when the kingdom of Jesus is growing in our hearts and renewing us, we actually start to live it out. And the world takes notice and says, that's a totally different kingdom. See, at Hope Alliance Nazareth, this is what I say. We are a gospel-centered family sent here from out of the Bethlehem congregation to live out the kingdom of Jesus and invite people further into it. Sometimes you and I need to be invited further in. Sometimes just hanging out with our friends and neighbors, we realize, man, be invited in. Come into this kingdom with me. Come meet a God who loves you no matter what, who wants to renew you and transform you from the inside out. The gospel reproduces it spreads, it produces this fruit that goes out into the world. I would say that now we are the saturators. We become people who go out and just water. Just water. Water. Spreading the gospel. Letting it soak in. Guess what? It takes a long time sometimes. Not just, we're not just a storm that blows through. Oftentimes we just kind of sprinkle. Kind of timid. Just start talking like Jesus is king. People are going to think you're weird. They're going to be like, "Mm, yeah, but there's something different. We proclaim the kingdom of Jesus through our words, through our deeds. We need to get past just offering the proposition. Do you want to know Jesus so you don't go to hell? That's a weird conversation starter, friend. Start proclaiming Jesus in your life with your renewed life with your fruit producing good deeds so that your friends can see it, then taking the opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel, that God loves these people and wants to bring them into his kingdom to give them new life. Friends, the gospel is an invitation. It's a proclamation that there's a party and you're invited. Now. Not just someday, but now. So we believe that here at Nazareth, in Bethlehem, that we're an outpost for the gospel. Man, we're out here on the frontier. It really is. We're on the frontier in a new world. 
a post-Christian world, a post-modern world, whatever you want to say. We're an outpost for the gospel, a city on a hill, a light that shouldn't be hidden, exhibiting the kingdom through word and deed, reproducing it out into the world, saying, I'm part of this kingdom, do you want to be a part of it? Not in judgment, not in anger, not in disdain for all those naughty people out there, but in love, saying, I'm loved, you're loved, do you want to be a part of this with me? This is how it's changing my life. You know what's great is when you can actually say that with integrity. Look what it's done in my life. I'm no longer addicted to X, Y, and Z. I'm no longer this way with my spouse or my friends. I'm, I'm no longer so dependent on my job for my identity. The world is in need of that, friends. Do you have that relationship with Jesus that you can offer to the world around you? Because gospel reproduces. We do this through word and deed. I'll say this. The church, embarrassingly, has been very much about word to the masses through social media, through billboards, bumper stickers, whatever. And really bad at it interpersonally. Can we flip that? Actually just like speak the truth to our friends as opposed to waiting for social media to do it for us? Just stop. It's ineffective. It just seems like damnation. It doesn't work. Go be with people. Exhibit the kingdom in your sphere of influence. Invite people in. Show them your good deeds so that they may praise your Father in heaven. Tell them where it's coming from. Invite people in to the kingdom. What happens is that that seed of the gospel that's inside of you starts to produce fruit. And that fruit goes out and it plants its own seeds. It starts to grow trees that produce their own fruit. And suddenly you've got this orchard of people, the kingdom of God expanding out to the ends of the earth, producing the fruit of the goodness of the gospel. Friends, the gospel is a proclamation. It's true. Jesus is on the throne. Is it making a difference in your life? Are you soaking in it? Is it renewing you? Not the rules, the gospel. Is it renewing you? Causing you to exhibit this fruit and inviting people further into the kingdom.